unfortunately things got really bad you know to the point where sometimes i couldn't get out from bed you know i end up you know missing back then i was in university i would miss you know days off school and things kind of culminated in 2011 where i tried to well i attempted suicide hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever stories of loss to keep you winning in our community we know that to win in investing you must take risk but to win big you've got to reduce it today's episode is sponsored by the valuation masterclass online the complete proven step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Nicholas Patrick. Nick, are you ready to rock? You know it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So let me tell the audience a bit about you. Nicholas is the founder of Echo Academy, a media platform dedicated to helping you enhance the quality of your career. After overcoming a decade-long battle with clinical depression, Nick's mission is to help working professionals stay mentally healthy and strong. Nick is most active on LinkedIn and Instagram, or you can find him using his full name, Nicholas Patrick. Nick, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Sure, cool. First of all, Andrew, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. A little fun fact that always surprised people. Right now, my wife and I were doing a long-distance marriage. So she's all the way in Arizona, and I live in Singapore. So it's one of those challenges that I found to be ironically really rewarding. And I'll share with you why. One of the reasons that, you know, we're doing the long distance is because she, she has an amazing job over in Arizona. But through this process, I realized that whenever we're together, the time that we spend is, allows me to just be mindful and focus on just one thing. And that's her. So I think on the plus side, I've learned to really be mindful and be more focused about the most important things in my life. So, you know, there's always a plus side to, to even the most difficult situations, I guess. It's a great point that if we had a lot less time to spend with our loved ones, what would we do with that time? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for yeah. whatever we have. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about yeah. the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, in a nutshell, my worst investment was not taking care of my mental health. And I think this is something that it's very hard to predict. And, you know, I didn't see it coming because, you know, things started to get bad or from bad to worse around 2007, 2008, where I started to see my mood being affected and, and just my inability to cope with the everyday stresses or challenges of life. Now, I mean, till this day, even, you know, after speaking with my psychiatrist, we can't really nail down what the reason was, whether it's biological or psychological, but I reckon it's a little bit of both. 
but that period between 2007 to 2011, you know, I thought it was one of those things that, you know, eventually with time and a little bit of patience, you know, it would just go away. But the truth is, like any other mental health issues, you need to take care of it. But I didn't. I just thought, you know, let me just wait it out like any other problem that I didn't know how to solve. Unfortunately, things got really bad, you know, to the point where sometimes I couldn't get out from bed. You know, I end up, you know, missing. Back then I was in university, I would miss, you know, days off school. And things kind of culminated in 2011 where I tried to, well, I attempted suicide. But, you know, what was really interesting about this particular experience was as I was standing on the ledge, ready to take my own life, I get a, I get a vibration in my pocket and I took out my phone. And I mean, it was a WhatsApp message, but as with any phone, you know, you'll see a bunch of notifications below the one that just comes in. And one of it was an email from my university at that time. And the topic or the subject of that email was some ways of managing depression. So, I mean, I still keep that email to this day because I don't know, call it divine intervention or just pure dumb luck. You know, it helped snap me out of this trance that I was in because I was fully committed to just taking my own life. And then something that email came in and helped me understand that I wasn't looking to end my life. I was just looking for another life, a life that was not as difficult and not, not one that was constantly struggling on a day-to-day basis. Mm. But the reason why I bring that up is, and I feel it's important to share is because we are all not so lucky to get an email or to have someone tell us, help us snap out of any challenge that we might be facing. You know, these are things that we should be taking care of right at the start, you know, when the problem is small, when it's manageable, when we are able to get help and see results. So I consider myself fortunate, but I'm also aware that many people have not been. And so ever since then, I felt like it was important to keep sharing this story and sharing the mission and hope people understand the value of taking care of their mental health. Great. So what did you learn from this experience? Well, I learned a multitude of things, but if I could, if I could just focus on two main things, particularly in getting help and, and the recovery process, I think that can, that can really help people in many ways. The first one that I really learned that is immensely valuable is having patience. And it's a really easy concept, but I think something that we constantly forget and constantly don't pay attention to. And this was particularly poignant for me because when you're going through depression, and this was one of the reasons why I chose not to get help at the start, thinking that I could just wait for it to go away, was because if I had gone and sought help, you know, I might have to take a semester off school, I might have to spend some time on recovery, all these things that would make me stop and just focus on myself. But the problem is, Unfortunately, when we take a break, the world doesn't. And we get caught up in that, right? We say, oh no, I'm going to be left behind. You know, everyone else is going to just get ahead and I have to struggle at the bottom because I had some problem. And that was one of the reasons why I chose not to get help at the start because I thought I didn't want to be left behind. 
Mm. As a result, I neglected something that was so critical to my own well-being, and that was taking care of my mental and psychological health. So, something that I learned, and I take hold it close to my chest, to even until today's day, is just being patient about everything. You know, just when I'm not good at something, especially when I'm at work, and you know, my KPIs or my objectives are measured upon my ability to do these things and I struggle with it, I'm mindful of the fact that, you know, maybe I'll take longer than the average Joe. And that's okay, you know. I'm committed to working hard and to trying. And, you know, if I don't get it as quickly as others, that's okay. But the most important thing is that I do get it. Mm. And so that has become a very, very valuable trait that I learned through through a difficult time and something I, I highly recommend because it's often overlooked. Right. The second thing, and this is, this was something I stumbled upon by accident because when I went going through clinical depression, I became a very difficult and sometimes toxic person to be around, mm-hmm. you know, because I was always complaining about my situation and I was always frustrated at others because they didn't understand what I was going through. Because it took a lot of courage for me to share what I was going through. So when people didn't understand it, I would react in a very negative and oftentimes disrespectful way, you know. Because in my mind, I thought, hey, I'm putting myself out there and you don't even care to understand what I'm going through. Mm. I mean, it turns out that's not the right way to do it because I've lost a lot of friends along the way. I mean, not a lot, but a few. And over time, I start to realize that when you are looking to build a support network for any problem that you have in life, there are three buckets that you should kind of place people in. And this is not a definition of their character, but mainly just where they are in life. And you can think of it as three concentric circles. And the outermost circle are just people who don't care. And of course, it doesn't mean that they don't care about you. It just means that, you know, everyone has got shit in their life, right? And they've got all sorts of problems and they just don't have time for yours. And that's okay. You know, you have to let them be, you know, with no malice in your heart. Mm. As long as you know, then at least you're aware that these are not the people you should be using your energy and bravery and whatever else to share with them because they're not going to give you what you require. Yep. The concentric circle within that is people who care but don't know how to help. Now, this, this for me was particularly important to, to know because I suppose I learned it the hard way because there are so many people who care about me, right? My parents, you know, my partner at the time, my girlfriend, my friends, even my closest friends. You know, I found myself trying so hard to explain what I was going through, all the struggles, you know, and even sometimes I would drop in the fact that, you know, some days I was so close to ending it, but because they didn't know how to help, it was impossible for them to give me the advice or even just the listening ear that I wanted. Mm. And because of that, it resulted in a relationship that had a lot of friction and a lot of challenges that, that really made it difficult for the relationship to go in a very smooth, you know, smooth process. And as a result, you know, some of my friends, uh, you know, are no longer my friends. And I mean, I don't hold that against them because, you know, it is what it is. 
But at least now I know that, you know, there's a group of people that I know who care about me. But when I share my problems with them, I should go in knowing that they can't solve my problems. They can only listen to me. But I should accept that for what it is, you know, because yep. sometimes all I need is a listening ear. And finally, the innermost circle within those concentric circles are people who care about you and who know how to help. Now, right off the bat, there will always be people who fall under that category. But what I would say is over time, someone from the circle above that, which is cares about you but don't know how to help, can fall into the final circle which cares about you and knows how to help. Because over time, they learn more about you, they learn more about your character, they learn more about you know, how you react to the world and how you deal with your problems. And a good example of that would be my wife. You know, mm. Over time, she learned how to, to understand when I was going through difficult periods and she kind of knew the ways to help. So you know, I guess I'm a bit long-winded here, but I felt the relationship and support network part was a really important thing mm. to share. Fantastic learning. So the outermost circle is people who don't care. The next inner circle is the people who care but don't know how to help and then the innermost circle is the people who care and know how to help exactly great great learning so let me summarize some of my takeaways from your story the first thing is that you know i i want to tell you a story i I went we're going to go back in time i was 15 probably at the time maybe 16 and i i had a drug habit where I was using drugs every day. And I had been for a few years already by the time that had arrived. In order to get the money for it, I I stole. And I stole, eventually I started stealing from my family. And I stole my family, my mother's, you know, silver that was handed down in her family. And I would take it to the pawn shop and sell it and then get a small amount of money and use that to buy drugs. Initially, I did that for a small, you know, a fork, a knife, a spoon, a plate, which you wouldn't notice. But then one time I had come up to the idea that I was going to, you know, really get some serious drugs and get some serious money. So I basically filled a bag full of different silver items that are family heirlooms. And I gave them to a friend of mine to go sell during the daytime at a pawn shop. And the night before I gave it to him and then he went home and a little bit older than me, he went home and he put that bag down on the table in his house. And then I went to bed and then I went to school the next day and I was so excited all day that I was going to have, I was going to become a drug dealer and I was going to have all this money. And that's how, you know, I was only focused on myself and I came home kind of skipping off the bus to find my mother standing on this porch just standing there, just waiting for me to come home. And she basically started, you know, really the only time my mom's ever hit me and she like grabbed a spoon in the kitchen and tried to, you know, spank me and just couldn't believe because what had happened was the friend's mother found this bag of silver with our family name on it or inscribed on it and called around to find out who this was and then got a hold of my mother. And before that silver was eventually sold, they got it back to my mother and my mother was just so hurt by it. And I just remember that. And I, I had a lot of 
pills that I was selling and stuff like that. And my mom and dad talked to me that night. And that night I just said, I can't take it. And I took as many of those pills that I could with the objective of trying to kill myself. And so miraculously, I made it through that probably because I didn't even know enough about how to kill yourself. But the emotion was there. And that was a beginning of a bottom for me where I started to reach out. And so, you know, I, it was an event that happened that immediately triggered this idea of killing myself. And, you know, I think that's kind of my story that you bring out, you know, by talking about your suicide, you know, scare. Talking, for yeah. yeah, talking about, you know, restarting your life. Basically, that began a process. It took a couple of years that I went into rehab for drug addiction. And I went into my first rehab within four days after leaving it, I was using drugs again. So I went into another one and eventually I went into a long-term rehab place. And it was September 15th, 1982 that I entered that rehab. And Basically, I spent seven months, my high school, final senior year in that rehab. And, you know, you could look at it and say, you know, how bad it is to spend your high school year. But as I look at it, it was a chance to reboot. I was around great people, counselors and other people that were addicted that were coming out of that. And somehow I was able to gain from that massively. And from that day until today, I've never drank or used any drugs, which is the reason why I don't, you know, drink or use drugs. But that concept, if, if I hadn't had that time to reboot, I don't believe that I could have been a very productive person. I may have been dead eventually because of my addiction, but also the ability to understand my emotions and how to communicate those emotions and how to understand other people's emotions. There's no way I would have been able to do all that if I hadn't been through that rehab. And so, you know, that's something from way back that carried me to this point. And so if somebody is listening and you're facing a situation where you're thinking, like Nick has said, you know, oh, I don't want to go out of life right now. You know, what happens if I miss this or that? Stop. Take the time to take care of yourself. And the last thing that I would say is something that, you know, I think is really critical. And that is everybody is messed up everybody and i've seen this from knowing so many people who are very successful and i've been able to listen to so many different people struggling and what i've learned is don't compare your insides to other people's outsides wow and i think that we are so focused on our inside we know all of our weaknesses we know all of our pains we know all of the things that we've been hurt and all of those things we see all of those things so clearly like nobody else can see in fact nobody else can see them you know until we you know bring them out but generally we see all of our negatives so crystal clear but when we look at other people we're seeing their outside so i really really recommend that you think don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. So those are some of the things that I get from your story. And I want to thank you for, you know, sharing it. Is there anything that you would add to that? Well, I think just for starters, you know, thanks for sharing that story. I think it's really important for people to hear different types of stories that highlight the same issue. And in your case, I think what I got out from it was that everyone's valuable and that 
and I'm probably going to steal this quote now, which is don't compare your inside to someone else's outside. It's really powerful because it really points to the actual problem. I think also what's really important is that for me, what I've learned over time, especially dealing with uh, clinical depression and actually overcoming it, is that I shouldn't measure the goal, which is of course to overcome depression, through time bound, through a time bound, but more an objective bound. And what I mean by that is I shouldn't say, okay, I'm going to give myself five years to overcome depression. I thought of it as, okay, what are the small milestones do I need to hit to let me know that, okay, by the end of this, I'm at where I need to be. So I met, once I understood the value of not basing it on time, there was really no race against the clock. And some people, you know, they find it difficult to understand. And how I try to explain it is, imagine you're doing a math test and they give you two hours to do it and you complete it in half an hour. I mean, what are the chances you make more mistakes than if you complete it in two hours? And I think it's the same philosophy in life, you know. If you don't have to rush it, don't rush it. So there's a great quote by a, like a, a Zen master when the new person came in to study under the master, they said, how long does it take to reach enlightenment? And the Zen master said, you know, about 10 years. And then the, the novice said to him, well, what if I work really hard and diligently to learn it faster? How fast could I learn it? And he said, in that case, about 20 years. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. All right. Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I think that what's really valuable is for the listeners out there that are kind of struggling with those early symptoms, you know, like what do you suggest to them? So I think it's very important to to learn how to learn about yourself, be it your mind and your body. I think the problem with us having all these problems is that now information is overwhelming and there's so much content out there. And it's very easy to go online on YouTube or Google and have these people suggest solutions to you, perhaps like what I'm doing now maybe. <laughs> but, but what I think is really important is for you to learn how to take what they take it from a first principles point of view, which is essentially breaking it all down so you can understand what is fact and what is simply their opinion or what they recommend. Because it's really important to know what is true to you and, and how they solve the problem will not be the same as yours. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of you know, seeking professional help, whether it's through a therapist or you know, a licensed psychiatrist, etc. Because their main function is really to help get you there. And they're not, you know, prescribing solutions, but working with you to come to a way that best suits your ideal way of recovery. Because it's so easy to get all this information out there and get lost in it, you know, analysis, paralysis, and all that. Mm. So I think the most important thing is really to try not to focus on too much content and like, getting as much information as you can, stick to one. And if it's a professional help, or if it's a professional, that would be even better. And then just follow that guidance to the end. Got it. All right, last question. 
What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal is really just to see my vision for Echo Academy manifest. I mean, the whole point of Echo Academy for me was really just to, you know, enhance everyone's quality of career. And how we do that is really to help address all the topics that people have about their careers that they find challenging. Mm. From the stresses in their workplace, all the way to dealing with difficult relationships in the workplace, etc. And for me, these are important topics because these are the small micro issues that can really affect, you know, your total mental well-being. And, and if you don't keep it in check, who knows what could happen? So for me, really just to create, you know, an opportunity for people to learn how others do it, but to learn from a point where they can understand what would work for them. So that's my goal for the next 12 months to really manifest Echo Academy to pursue that vision. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Nicholas, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones who has turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. And I want to thank you also because my mom listens to this show and you've provided us a chance to talk about something that happened in my past that it's good to talk about with people close to you like your mother. So do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, well, number one, I'm glad that, you know, you have a moment with your mom to, you know, and really maybe talk about this. My passing words is that it's always okay to get help because we don't have all the solutions. So don't be afraid to ask. Beautiful. It's always okay to get help. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth and our health. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.